Scripture reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter. I invite you to turn there uh, in your Bibles or uh, scroll there on your mobile devices. And uh, we'll begin at verse 12. Also, the words will be on the screens uh, there in front of you. Where I also invite you just simply to listen. Some of us, God made as auditory learners, and this is God's word to you, as if God is speaking to you through his word. And so I invite you uh, to give ear to his word as we listen together, beginning at verse 12, and we'll continue through the end of the chapter. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk what much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. So rise, let us go. From here, God's word for his people. When I was uh, 13 or 14 years old, I got my first job. I got my first job as uh, a hand for a general contractor who built the house that we moved into when uh, I was in seventh grade and that my parents still live in. And he was building a number of houses throughout our neighborhood. And he hired me to go into those houses as they were under construction and clean them out, take all the sweep up all the sawdust, uh, pick up all the wood that's lying around, all the trash that's lying around, clean up the construction site, go underneath in the uh, 
uh, crawl spaces. And because, you know, I'm 13 years old and I'm pretty small, I can fit in those spaces and uh, put plastic down because they forgot to do that before they put the floors in. And so any kind of junky jobs that he could pay uh, a 13, 14-year-old kid $2.25 an hour to do, that's what I did. And I remember one day he came to me and said, hey, tomorrow, could you uh, come to this other house that I need help at? But it's outside of the neighborhood. And I said, sure, let me ask my parents. And I asked them and uh, they said it would be fine. Uh, we, we knew him as a family pretty well. And so at seven o'clock the next morning, I got in his car and he drove me to the other side of town. And we drove up to a house that was completely finished. And in fact, it looked lived in, except there was no yard There was just a huge patch of dirt in the front of the house, an equally large patch of dirt behind the house, and a two or three times the size patch of woods that had been overgrown that the bulldozers had never touched. And so he pulls into this driveway, and we get out of the car, and he says this, I want you to get this ready to plant grass. And also, clear out the forest that's in the backyard. I'll be back at 4.30. There's some tools in the garage. If you go in this side door, they'll be there to help you. See you later. And he got in the car and he sped off. And I sat there and looked at what I learned was two and a half acres worth of land. And I looked around And I thought to myself, I have no idea how to plant a yard. And I looked at the dirt and it was full of rocks. And so I thought maybe, maybe I should go to the backyard. Maybe I'll start back there and I have better luck back there. And it was this huge forest that was overgrown and I had no idea what the owners of the house would want me to do with it. And so I thought maybe he left me some more detailed instructions in the garage along with all these tools. And so I went into the garage. I found the light switch, turned it on. I didn't even recognize what half of the tools were, but I did see a chainsaw. And that's awesome. When you leave a 13-year-old boy alone with a chainsaw and a forest in the mountains of North Carolina and he says, have fun, we're going to have fun. And But I was paralyzed. Because I didn't know what my boss would want. I didn't know what the owners of the house would want. And I had no idea what to do, how to plant a yard or or anything like that. And so I spent the whole day working with a rake that I later turned out wasn't the right rake, uh, trying to rake up these rocks because I knew, okay, rocks aren't supposed to be here. And he came back at 4.30 and he said, well, what'd you do? I said, I... Got some rocks over here. <laughs> and I explained to him, I, I had no idea what I'm doing. I, you, didn't, you didn't tell me anything. You, you just said, there's the garage. Go for it. And I wanted to use the chainsaw, but I thought better of it. I wonder if you've ever felt like that, maybe in a job that you've had. <laughs> maybe they just stuck you in the office or they stuck you in a two and a half acre yard and said, have fun. I wonder if you've ever felt like that in your walk with Jesus. That Jesus has just left you here, and he's not here. He's gone away, 
and you look at the enormity of the task to which Jesus has called you to, to make disciples of all nations, and you look at that and you go, I, I, I'm paralyzed. I have no idea what to do. I have no idea how to do it. I don't even know how to use the tools that you left here for me to use. Where do I even begin? What do I even do? And I have to wonder if the disciples felt that way when Jesus is having this last meal with them. Jesus has said repeatedly to the disciples, I am going away. I am going to die. I will not be with you much longer. He says that over and over and over again to the disciples. And here in this section of the Gospel of John, if you've, if you've ever studied John or you read through John, uh, you know that John almost hits the fast-forward button through three years of Jesus' ministry. And, and only about two-thirds or, or a little less of the book of John uh, go through Jesus' ministry in uh, his first three years. And so much so that John's almost running to get to this last week of Jesus' life. And then when he gets to the last week of Jesus' life, he hits the pause button. And he slows down. And that's where we are here in this chapter, chapter 14, as Jesus is in the last night of his life and he has told the disciples, I am going away. I am going to die. But then he says this, verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. And then he says in the passage that we read this morning at verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. How can that be? How do we live at peace? How does Jesus give his peace? Not as the world gives peace, but how does Jesus give peace to the disciples and to you and to me? I think Jesus shares that with us here in in this passage. And he says, to begin with, he says, "If if you knew what was getting ready to happen, if you knew who I was going to send, you would actually rejoice that I am going away. Because Jesus allows us to live at peace because we are actually not alone. Jesus sends the Spirit to live in us and with us. If you notice in this section, he repeats a lot of the same things. He says that the Spirit, the Helper, is coming. He says that at least three times by my account. And if you look at verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. That word helper, some of the versions of the Bible that you might be reading from or studying might have a different translation for that word. Uh, it might say advocate or counselor. The, the word in Greek is parakaleo. It's a combination of two words, para and kaleo. And it, it has the idea of coming alongside. There's another word that has kaleo at the end of it. it it's the word proskaleo. And That word is used when Jesus stands before Pilate. It's an adversarial relationship and a relationship of judgment that is coming. Pros kaleo, you will stand there and I will tell you what is wrong. Parakaleo has a a more relational, non-adversarial meaning to it. 
It's almost as though it, as if it says the one will come and grab you by the arm and help you walk and take the next step. It's the counselor, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom God has sent to us. And before you think, well, he didn't send that to me because he only sends the spirit to the, to the super saints, to the pastors, to the elders. No. Jesus, he's with the 12 disciples at this time and maybe a few others. And he doesn't say, hey, guys, actually, I'm going to send the spirit, but it's only going to Peter, James and John, because those are the guys that somewhat have their act together, even though they don't. He sends the spirit to all of them. The spirit comes to all of those who believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. That same spirit, the Bible says, that raised Jesus from the dead is that same spirit that comes and dwells among us. Now, as 21st century Americans, we tend to sometimes get our theology from movies. And when we think about the Holy Spirit, oftentimes we can think of the Holy Spirit as the force from Star Wars. That it comes to a few people, and that if enough training happens with the little green guy, we can be able to use the force to raise our lives out of the muck and the mud that our lives are in, and then we can go and save the universe. But it's just this force that's out there. That is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the force. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity of God who comes in, dwells in you. If you, you notice what Jesus says at the end of verse 17, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. It's not some force that's just out there that you have to have the secret code to get uh, access to. No, Jesus says the Spirit will come and will actually dwell in you. If you believe in Jesus, the Spirit of God lives and works and moves in your life, even right now. And what does the Spirit do? The Spirit illuminates Jesus. The Spirit, if you look at verse 26, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you alone. But one will come who will illuminate me. And you will see and remember all that I have taught you. One commentary that I was reading about this said the Holy Spirit, uh, we can think of it in these terms, um, works as stage lights. Stage lights are not these bright things that I should not have just looked at because I can't see any of you anymore. Um, They are lights that line the front of the stage. And you as the audience, oftentimes, if they're done well, you cannot see them. And their sole goal is to illuminate... Whoever, whatever is on the stage. Because I can move over here and I know from experience that when Pastor Bruce comes over here, you can't see me much anymore because it just got dark. But if I move over here, I'm now in the light 
And the Holy Spirit's job is to illuminate Jesus in your life. Is to show you Jesus. And apply the work of Jesus into every nook and cranny and corner of your life. God says, I will not leave you alone, but I will send the Spirit. The Spirit to be with you and the Spirit to dwell in you so that you might see Jesus more and more and more. He says, that brings comfort. That brings uh, hope. We don't have to be troubled because we are not left alone. But we may wonder, Lord, am I doing this right? Lord, am I really following you? God, do I, do I really love you? Because I am going through my life and as the Spirit shows me my sin, because it shows me you, as I see you and your perfection and what you have taught and what you have commanded, I, I look at my own life as you illuminate it and I think, I am not there. Jesus says in verse 15, and he will actually say in three separate occasions in this short passage that we read, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. There is an assurance that comes from the struggle. The struggle to keep God's commandments. Oftentimes when we hear or read verse 15, we as Christians, or maybe I should just say, just maybe it's just me, and I'm confessing this to you, I flip that around and make it a conditional clause. Here's what I mean by that. God, if I keep your commandments, then you will love me. Did you hear the condition? If I keep the commandments, then God will love me. But Jesus did not say these words in that way, nor did he say these as a conditional clause, nor did he say these as an imperative. He said them as assurance and as peace to the disciples who would wonder, do I really love Jesus? He would say that to you and to me. Do I really love Jesus? And Jesus would answer that by saying, Do you try to keep my commandments? If you try to keep my commandments, you love me. When we begin to wonder, when we begin to doubt, Do I really love God? Because we go through the struggle. And the struggle is true. The struggle is real. The struggle is that that we wonder, God, how could you love someone like me, a sinner like me, knowing all the things that are in my heart, all the things that I have done and thought and said this week and how I have failed you. And it tears me up inside. The Apostle Paul wrestled with that too. In Romans chapter 7, he goes through this whole litany. It's almost like a diatribe he goes on. He just like, the very things that I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. And the things that I want to do, I don't do those things. 
And you can hear his wrestling with this whole thing. But then how does he answer it? Thanks be to God who has saved me through the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, oftentimes in, in Western Christianity, we can falsely believe that once we come to faith in Jesus, that everything is just kumbaya. That we never struggle with anything. We never struggle with our sin. We never struggle with doubt. We never struggle with worry. We never struggle with fear. What a lie. It actually is worse. Isn't that comforting? It's actually worse. And it hurts. It hurts us when we see our sin. It hurts us when someone sins against us. It hurts us when we sin against someone else. But Jesus is saying to the disciples and to you and to me that that is evidence that my spirit is at work within you. And yes, there is a struggle. And yes, you should take that struggle and you should run with it. Don't walk. Run with it to Jesus and lay it at his feet. Because that same, uh, that same power that raised him from the dead that, that is at work in you allows you to take your sin to him with confidence that he will forgive you of that sin once and for all. But it's hard. Because I, I, we were talking about this last Sunday morning in, in our Sunday school class that it meets uh, after this service. Um, we were talking about, we're, we're, we're kind of the young families class, and so I'm, I'm kind of the, one of the old people in there. And I was talking about, you know, I'm, I'm in my early 40s now. I'll be in my early 40s for at least a couple decades. Um, I'm in my early 40s now, and I still deal with the same stuff in so many ways that I dealt with as a 13-year-old boy working a summer job for two twenty-five an hour. And it drives me crazy. And Jesus says, that's evidence that you love me. Because if it didn't drive you crazy, you wouldn't care. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. God has given to us his commandments. There is a call to obedience that God gives to us. We won't keep it perfectly, not on this side of heaven. But the fact that we strive for it, Jesus says that is, that is peace that I leave with you, that you love me. There's one other thing that Jesus says here in verse 12 that I want us to think about just for a few more moments. To me, this is some of the most remarkable words in all of Scripture that Jesus says right here. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. If you believe in me, you'll be able to do the works that I do. Let's just take a real quick, abridged, um, non-comprehensive look at some of the works that Jesus did. He gave sight to the blind. He told several people who were uh, paralyzed, who had never walked before in their life, some in their early 40s as well, 
get up, take your mat and go home. And they got up and without any rehab, walked, ran, jumped and screamed all through the city. He took five small fish or five loaves of bread, two fish, and he fed 5,000 men plus women and children who we have no idea how many there were. So there were 5,000 plus with that little bit. Oh yeah, did I forget to mention that he raised people from the dead? And Jesus says to the disciples, the works that I did, you will do. And actually, greater works than this will you do. Now, those words, at least to me, that makes me really uncomfortable. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. So what does Jesus mean? What is the greater works that Jesus has in store for us? What is the greater works that Jesus has called us to? If you think about where Jesus is right now, he's three years into his earthly ministry and he's done all those things and a number of people have come to believe in him, but their belief in him is is kind of skewed because they think that Jesus is coming to be this conquering king who's going to kick out the Romans and reestablish the nation of Israel. And, And that's actually part of what I think why Judas asked the question that he does and he's scratching his head going, if you're going to be this guy that's going to rule Israel and kick out the Romans, like, how are you going to manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Like, that doesn't make sense. Jesus has a really small following right here. There's only 12 and maybe a few others that are in the room, and these 12 are actually going to abandon him within the next few hours. But after Jesus dies... He rises again on the third day and he appears to to these 11 because Judas has uh, betrayed him and he appears to Mary and Martha and to others and to over 500 people saw Jesus and then Jesus ascends into heaven and a few weeks after that, the spirit of God comes and it, it indwells these disciples and those who were in that room and those who believed in Jesus. And they go out and they begin to preach Jesus. And do you know what happens? The first day Peter gets up, Peter's going to deny Jesus a few hours after this, even after Peter was like, Jesus, I will never let anything happen to you. I will die for you. And Jesus just goes, oh, Peter, you're going to deny me. The Spirit of God comes and dwells in Peter. And Peter gets up. And all the people that were around uh, thought that these guys were all drunk. And Peter says, they're not drunk. They're full of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you about Jesus. And Peter preaches a sermon. And thousands of people come to faith in Jesus. I think that's the greater work that Jesus was referring to. That through the disciples, the gospel would go to the very ends of the earth. That the gospel would go forth through those who follow Jesus. That God gives us in, in his economy of how he put this thing together, which I don't understand, but he has given to you and to me the privilege of being able to, to walk with Jesus, to see Jesus through his spirit, to hear from Jesus and to understand his word and to share Jesus with those that don't yet know him. 
And we have the privilege of sitting back and watching the Spirit of God work in the life of those around us. And I will tell you, because I've seen it, I've experienced it, not as much as I, I wish, I want to see this more and more, but I want to see the people that I know, the people that I am in relationship with that don't yet know Jesus to come to faith in him. Because when that happens, you realize that this is not something that you have done, but it is the work of God in their life. And it brings you such great joy and such great hope and such great peace. When you see the work of the Spirit in the lives of other people, and you and I have no less a calling to take the gospel to our city, to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces, to our schools, to our state, to our world. And God says, I will use you. And the things that I have taught you even in your imperfections, I love you. And you love me because I loved you first. Let me real quick tell you the end of the story because I'm really good at telling the beginnings of the stories. And then you meet me in the hallway outside and go, whatever happened? And so I want to try to, to wrap that story up. My boss came back, 4.30, longest workday ever especially when you're 13. And I showed him that little pile of rocks and I said, I didn't really do anything because I had no idea what I was supposed to be doing. And then he looked at me and said, I am so sorry. I had to leave because I had to go meet with another family that wants me to be the general contractor. And it's actually like a million dollar house and I'm going to make a lot of money on that. And I'm so sorry. Actually, this is my house. My wife and my kids, they're out of town today, but they'll be back tomorrow. Could, can you come back? And we actually, on the kitchen table, I'm so sorry, I don't know how I forgot this. There is a whole landscape plan on the kitchen table that's laid out that I was supposed to show you, and my wife's going to kill me. And I said, sure, I'll come back tomorrow. So he came and he got me the next day. And he said, my wife will be here all day. If you have any questions, you can ask her, but I'll be back at noon and I'll help you. And I said, well, I actually have some questions like, what rake do I use? Because I don't know. And he showed me how to use all of the tools. And then his kids who were younger than me, they were like the oldest was like eight or nine. They came outside and I started going like this new era of confidence came in many because I knew how to use a... a, rake now. And I was like, kids, this is how you rake. This is what we're doing. We're going to put the vegetable garden over here and we're going to do this over here. And I began to teach them all the stuff that I had just learned in the last hour. I was at peace because I knew someone was there with me. Someone was there to guide me. And I even got to share with others that which I had learned. And it brought about a new confidence and a new peace and a new assurance. And Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I will send my spirit to dwell in you, to remind you of me. And that that you do love me. 
If you keep my commandments and go and tell the world about me, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Lord, take through your spirit feeble words of mine and apply these words into our hearts. Father, I pray that they would go into our hearts to places that, in all honesty, we might not want them to go, where we might not want to give up the toys that we love. Father, we pray that through your Spirit, you might drive those things out so that Jesus might fill us more and more, and that as you fill us more and more, that you might Encourage us, lead us, guide us as we not only grow in you, but as we take the gospel to the nations. Father, may that be true of us as your people here at EP. May we love you because we are loved by you and love this world that you have created well, that they might know Jesus as their Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.